try this out. First solo Real Man Wood Pod in a while. So a bunch of stuff. We'll start with the sports stuff because there's a bunch of stuff that happened. One is Russell Wilson signing with the Broncos. Ah, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want to talk sports yet. Maybe at the end. It's not what's on my mind. I'm glad that Russell Wilson signed with the Broncos. I think it's going to be fun. But we'll get to all the, the sports stuff, that and some of the baseball stuff. I'm in a bunch of NFBC drafts now, which is fun. I think it's always a hard thing in life. If there's something big going on that is occupying your attention and what to do about distractions, going out to a fancy meal, going on vacation to a hotel, playing fantasy baseball, focusing on baseball. You know, it's the balance between, am I just distracting myself? Is this the bread and circuses that I'm falling for uh, to distract me from waking up to what the hell is going on in the world? But at the same time, you know, I like fantasy baseball. I like going out for drinks sometimes. I don't know. I've just felt that was, it's been a hard balance to walk the last couple of years. I think you want to have some enjoyment. Certainly walking on a hike in nature or something is always good. You're not really being distracted. You're being more present usually in that situation or your thoughts are wandering, but you are getting fresh air. And But w- what happens when you're partying or uh, even doing fantasy baseball where you're not partying, but you're sort of just distracted on uh, something that in the scheme of things is of less consequence I don't know. It's just something that I think about. Still doing some leagues. I'm still enjoying, really enjoying my draft. I'm really happy to see Verlander and Carlos Rodon fall to me. I was like, woke up. Oh, wow. Those guys are still available. Made me happy. And it's funny. And I've talked about this before, but if I, I said this like 10 years ago, but say if a bomb goes off in Iraq and kills like 35 people at a market, you see that news and you think, oh, man, that's horrible, terrible. And then you see an, uh, another news item that's like, oh, my pitcher's out for six weeks. God damn it. And which one's going to stick with you all day, right? Is it going to be the bomb in Iraq? Or is it going to be the fact that your pitcher, who is doing great, is now out six weeks and that really screws your fantasy team? It's going to be the latter, right? Because the, the pitcher affects you personally. The tragedy in Iraq is just a general tragedy and there's people dying all the time. Why would you dwell on that particular subset of deaths when there's people dying of starvation somewhere where there's people dying of diseases somewhere. This is just a, another case of people dying. It's tragic. And you're mad that your pitcher's out, you know, with an oblique strain or something for a few weeks. And that's the thing that's going to occupy your mind, but that's just human nature, right? We're, we're going to be like that. It's not good or bad. It just is. We, we, that's what we care about. And it's just a, a strange fact to be balancing out. But I, but I do think at least the last two years, and one of the reasons why I'm, we we're just lucky that we sold Rotowire at the time we did is I just had things on my mind that I wanted to talk about and deal with that were not fantasy sports. And I am very happy to relegate it to a quasi hobby. I'll talk about it, you know, on the show. I'll do, you know, I put out a big cheat sheet and I'll, I'll do things like that because I like it and because I think there's a demand for it. But the reality is that that's not really what's on my mind first and foremost. So I want to talk about some of the things that are on my mind. As much as I care about my pitcher not getting an oblique strain, I care more about my bank account being my bank account and my house being my house and not being subject to confiscation or you know, excessive taxation or, or something else that would make that not the case. There's sort of the first order. I, I, I guess I'm sort of talking myself into the, the answer to, to this is there's the first order important things like having a roof over your head, having a safe city or countryside to be in, having food, having a nice bed to sleep in. There's the first order 
things that you're rooting for, so to speak, that have to be handled. And then once that's in place, I can root for my pitcher not to have an oblique strain, get a lot of strikeouts and defeat Dalton Del Don in uh, our fantasy baseball league. So those are the second order things. And, and we would rather be worried about the second order things because the first order things are a given. And if you've grown up in a Western democracy, the first order things are a given. You've just never really had to think about them too much. I don't want to speak for everybody. There's some people who grew up in really tough neighborhoods or had problems with the police or other things. But for a lot of us growing up in a Western democracy, you just don't really have to think about the first order thing. What concerns me, and I don't want to be, you know, more paranoid than I need to be. I want to be just as paranoid as I need to be. You know, it's not paranoia if they're really out to get you. I want to be aware of the threats to the first order thing, not, well, you get hit by a bus. Of course, you can, you can get killed. And I, I want to talk about that too, because I had an interesting idea about that. But I want to be just as paranoid as I need to be. And I feel like what's going on in the global markets, with the war, with the exaggerated pandemic and the response to it, and the way that people have just been in lockstep with this propaganda, I feel like this is more than just a paranoid threat to the first order necessities that, that we need to secure. And that's why it's hard. It's harder for me to get, you know, as to enjoy the second order fun as much as I used to, because I'm concerned about this bigger game, securing my finances, securing my property, securing my freedom, my autonomy, my ability to decide what it is I want to read, what it is I want to say, who it is I want to follow, you know, what it is I want to put in my body. These first order problems, I want to get those resolved before I worry about how many strikeouts my pitcher gets. And yet I'm still doing fantasy baseball because I enjoy it, but it's hard. It was hard for me to talk eight hours a week on the XM on the Sirius XM show about these second order matters when these first order ones I feel like are starting to get real. So that's, that's one thing. Another thing that just came up last night is interesting. So Heather's in London. She was on her way and whole saga at the airport where she missed the flight and had to get a later flight. Well, what that meant was Sasha went to school and I was supposed to pick her up, but then a friend's mom picked her up to take her to this, I don't know, it was a trampoline climbing place. Uh, it's in Portugal that the kids like. So they're, they're going there. And then she was supposed to bring her home at 6 p.m. I was going to order dinner for Sasha and me. But I know that this woman is very flaky. She's an actress and she's just always flaky. You know, Sasha doesn't have a phone, which is how it's going to stay till she's 16. We've told her. We'll see how that goes when she's 13. But it's no way for me to reach Sasha. So I told Heather, who was at the airport, I said, can you just give her my number? And so that if they're deciding to have dinner together, then just let me know and I'll just order dinner for myself. Well, of course, Heather is flight instead of leaving, you know, at 1.30 or 2 o'clock or whenever we're supposed to leave is leaving at 7 o'clock. At that point, still no word uh, from the woman. And then Heather's on the plane, unreachable. I don't have her info. And we didn't really plan it because we thought Heather would be, you know, there in case I need to, in case there was an issue. So now it's eight o'clock. Now it's nine o'clock. Now it's 9.30. Heather's unreachable because she's on the plane. I have no way of reaching this woman. I'm thinking, I started to get a little nervous. Like, you know, my kid is out. It's 9.30. Supposed to be home at six. I knew they would probably get dinner because that's kids complain and want to do stuff together and stay together longer. So I knew that was likely, but I'm kind of like, if Heather's not even reachable, this woman, she's flaky. And I started thinking, no. Heather left at seven, which meant she, if Sasha, there was any issue with the pickup, she would have texted Heather. She's with this parent of another kid. 
she's flaky, but she's a, a nice person, a normal person. And I was like, well, I just, she just, they're just out. And this woman's flaky and doesn't, isn't texting me and letting me know the change of plans. So I ordered dinner myself and I just kind of let it go. I just decided, you know what? Anything could happen any day to your kid. Anything could happen. As long as we know that she was picked up from school and she's not missing or unaccounted for, there's just no reason to think about this. And then when Heather's plane lands around 10, I'll, and if she's still not home, then I'll have her text the woman, which is what happened. Landed at like 9.30, text the woman. She said, oh, sorry, we got delayed X, Y, and Z. And of course, Sasha came home around 10 and everything was fine. But basically, I made a choice not to be worried about it, not to just to say, look, I, I have no way of reaching her. I guess I could have like, texted random people in her class to see if I can get the woman's number. If I forgot, you know, for 11 o'clock and I hadn't heard anything. Okay. But I just made the choice just to let go and say, you know what? Every day that your kid goes out, goes to school is away from you. Something horrible could happen. It's just a fact, you know, we could all get hit by a bus. And in this day and age of cell phones and constant tracking of everybody, we're kind of, we're kind of used to like, Oh, if I don't know exactly where my kid is, if I don't know exactly where, you know, what's going on that I need to worry, but it didn't used to be that way. And although back in the day, there were things like pay phones and easier ways to, to reach somebody if, if you were out, but if you didn't have a cell phone, but life is risky, you know, you can't live your life thinking like, well, what if I get run over by a car today? What if something falls off a building and hits me in the head today? What if, I mean, you can't live like that. What if I get a heart attack? You can't live like that. You just have to live and hope for the best. And tragically, sometimes, you know, things do happen, but it's just not in your hands beyond a certain level of basic responsibility. So um, I just let it go. But then I started thinking like, even I'm victim to this, this safetyism where I'm, I know that this woman picked up my kid after school who she's supposed to pick her up. And I'm still worried. Like, why isn't she texted? Why isn't this happening? You know, and I'm playing into the safetyism rather than being like, oh, she's flaky. She just doesn't text. They, they made a judgment call to actually go to dinner with the kids and they'll just let me know later. That's, that was by far the most likely scenario. It was in fact the scenario. And I was guilty of the sort of safetyism that has wrought, oh my God, there's a virus. We can't, you know, chance it. And I understand the first couple of months, maybe, maybe. And it's just sort of this possibility that this could happen. I think that's part of the safetyism that got us into this hell and I think the safetyism is the thing that is driving people to say to their governments, please save me. You know, there could be harmful speech. And if there's harmful speech, that could rile people up to do something dangerous. We can't have people saying these things on social media. This, this whole safetyism, what could happen, this paranoia, instead of realizing that this has been thought through, these kinds of things. And in the founders of our democracy, they thought it through. And they said the most dangerous thing is governments being able to shut down free speech, to seize your person or property without due process. Um, these are the things that are truly dangerous. The safetyism has been thought through and it's been found very wanting. And then when you give too much power to governments to meddle in your lives, that's when it gets really dangerous. When you want to see real mass death, and the word that I'm hearing now is democide, death from the government. You know, you look at a lot of these governments in the 20th century, it was the government inflicting the death. They had too much power, too much control, they were too worried about stamping out this evil or that evil or this scourge or that scourge. And power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And uh, this kind of leads me to a piece 
that I wrote. It's on chrislist.com. I encourage you to check out chrislist.com. I've got all my old articles on it about stuff. Archive weight goes pretty far back a few years. And the one I, I wrote recently was, it had a clip from the Lord of the Rings where Frodo wants Gandalf, and I think I've talked about this before, to take the ring because he realizes what a burden the ring is. And Gandalf says, don't tempt me, Frodo. I'm too powerful. I would use this ring ostensibly for good, but it would overpower me. And I don't want to become like the Dark Lord himself. I don't want to become evil like the Dark Lord himself, which I would if I had this much power. So Gandalf, he's very wise. He's like the founding fathers. He knows, let's not take this ring. It's, it's too dangerous for power to be concentrated in someone like me even even a quote, good person. If I am a good person, I get too much power. I will become like the dark Lord himself. I will become evil. And I wrote about this because you have Russia invading Ukraine and obviously any invasion where people are dying into a sovereign country, that's, that's bad. And we don't want that. And people are upset about it and understandably so. But if you're so upset about that invasion, but you don't think George Bush and Dick Cheney should be tried for war crimes for doing the same thing in Iraq and killing a million people. Some people said, oh, it wasn't a million, it was 500,000. I think it doesn't really matter whether it's 500,000 or a million. It's a hell of a lot of people, most of whom were innocent, who died because of our stupid invasion on a false pretense. There were no WMDs. We didn't have to invade. People were like, well, they violated the terms of the settlement and after the Kuwait war, fine, fine. He's bad. Saddam's bad. He's a dictator. He violated the terms, but we did not have to invade. It was a war of choice. So how can you be so against Putin's invasion of Ukraine and yet think George Bush and Dick Cheney, who did a very similar thing, should just be hanging around in their mansions and their farm ranches, George Bush doing his stupid paintings. And then that's fine. You know, this is, this seems very selective, this outrage. And why are we not holding ourselves to, to the same standards and, and held to account. I got a lot of responses to that. A lot of them agreed, but some of them disagreed and they were telling me why it was different. And to me, the legal is like, oh, we had legal right to go in because they, they inspect, they didn't let the inspectors in. No, the, a legal document is not a reason to kill a million people. I'm sorry. So I don't, I don't give a shit about that. You know, Putin says NATO violated its terms and encroached. I don't give a shit what he says the legal justification is. The legal doesn't matter to me. This is killing and invading. The, the most common response though, and I've seen this from these writers in the Atlantic and other uh, on Twitter is you can't compare us to Russia, right? Like we may have made mistakes, they say, but Russia is an autocratic country run by a dictator and we are a democracy and you cannot, you can't compare a constitutional democracy to uh, an autocracy. That was, that's the most common response I had. It's just, it's just Russia's evil. We're good. We may have done bad things, but stop comparing the two. And, and I'm like, okay, that's fair. And I agree that it's better to be a democracy than an autocracy. But on what basis is a democracy better than a dictatorship run by someone like Putin? And I would say, okay, if you're to ask me to, to, define, to defend that, I would say, first off, we care about civil liberties. Like we can't just, uh, you can't just imprison me under the constitution. You need to have a good case against me. I need to get my due process. You can't just take my property you know, we're allowed to talk. I can say bad things about Joe Biden. I can say, let's go Brandon. And I'm allowed to do that. Why? Because we have free speech. I'm allowed to criticize the president. I'm allowed to insult the president. I'm allowed to mock the president for having dementia. I'm allowed. This, this is the US. In Russia, are you allowed to do that? Probably not without some consequence. So, so there's a big difference in the rights afforded to citizens of the US versus citizens of Russia or China, for example. And that's great. But let's look at how the U.S. has treated the people who didn't have those protections. I think this is a good, you know, so we treat our citizens better because we've made a set of laws 
wherein the government just doesn't have the power to fuck with us as much, right? Like if it fucks with me, I have legal protections. And so I'm going to be treated better than a person in Russia or China that the government wants to fuck with because they have no legal protections. So they certainly don't have the legal protections that we do. We are better in that sense. But let's look at how we treated the people who aren't protected by our constitution. There were African slaves brought to America against their will. They were abducted. And how were they treated? They, you know, we had basically absolute power over them and they were treated horrendously. How did we treat the Native Americans? Horrendously. How did we treat the citizens of Iraq uh, when we wanted to get rid of uh, Saddam Hussein, even though they posed no threat to us? We killed a million of them. How did we treat the citizens of Vietnam? How many Vietnamese did we kill? How many South Americans, Central Americans, did we destabilize their governments and do horrendous stuff there? Syria, Libya. I mean, it's all around the, the, the world. We've done all sorts of horrors because those people are not protected from our government. Only our citizens are. So if you look at how we treated people who are not protected, it's, you're going to be hard pressed to say we treated them a lot better than Russia or China treats people that it has total power over. We had people who were enslaved in our own country for, you know, shamefully for, before they got rights like everybody else. And that's how they were treated. You know, if, if you have the protections of a, a constitutional democracy, then yes, you're superior. But if you don't have the, the protections, we don't treat you any better than an, an autocratic government do. I think you'd have a hard time making the case that we've been better to those people than Russia or China is to their people or to the people that they dislike for whatever reason. So the difference is not, it turns out that our ruling class is nicer than their ruling class, that Hillary Clinton and Dick Cheney are nicer humans or better humans than Vladimir Putin or, or Xi Jinping. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just that Hillary Clinton and Dick Cheney have less power to fuck you up than Xi and Putin have to fuck up their citizens. I think that's the difference between us and those places. So if you want to retain your moral authority around the world, what you have to do is be less and less like Russia and China and more and more restrictive of the power of your ruling class. That is what makes America great. Because when you restrict the power of the ruling class to dominate and exploit the citizens, then the citizens have better lives. And when the citizens have better lives, they're more creative, more productive, more prosperous. And then you create the most prosperous country in the history of the world because of the axioms on which it's built. We just have better foundational axioms for running a country than these autocratic states do. And so that's what makes us better. Not that our ruling class is nicer. Not that, we, that Hillary Clinton and Dick Cheney are nice out of the goodness of their heart. It's just that they're somewhat restricted on what they can do. And so when you say, is it, is it, you know, is Iraq like Ukraine? It's exactly like Ukraine. Iraq had no power to stop us. They were not capable. Uh, the Iraqi citizens had no rights in terms of what we could do to them. We could bomb their cities and they couldn't do anything. So if you want to distinguish the two, then you want to fight against things like lockdowns, forced injections, central bank digital currencies, where um, they can say, oh, no, you can't purchase this. The bank doesn't approve of it. It's not a necessity. Or you need to be rationed your energy or all these things that the government wants to control you with. This is going down the Russia-China path. When you do things like this, you are no better than them. When you invade Iraq, you are no better. It's when your powers are limited, when power is decentralized, that you show that America is the better place. And America is the better place so long as it keeps that together. But there's no guarantee, right? I mean, these protections, these axioms on which our country's founded can be eroded 
if people say, no, you must lock down, it's dangerous, fear, safety, safetyism is the important thing, then all of a sudden these constitutional protections, which don't have a safety exception. The First Amendment isn't, you can say what you want, but if things are dangerous, you better shut up and the government will shut you up. It doesn't say that you're afforded due process of law unless there's a virus, unless there's a war, unless there's dangerous disinformation. You, you have free speech unless you're saying dangerous disinformation. No, that is, there's no exception in the Constitution that, that says that. And if you want to see the fraud that, that, are, that we're currently perpetrating, when Joe Biden, and I've mentioned this before, or Donald Trump or Obama or whoever, gets sworn in on Inauguration Day to be the president, he puts his hand in a Bible and he swears to defend the Constitution of the United States. And he, he doesn't defend the safety of the people of the United States. He doesn't say, I swear to go with whatever the medical establishment deems necessary, whatever their recommendations are, whatever Dr. Fauci says, whatever Pfizer is telling the other scientists to say. He doesn't put his hand on the Bible and say, I'm defending this. He says, I'm defending the Constitution of the United States. And they're violating that oath. And that oath is the most important oath because the Constitution is what makes us better. It's our axioms to the extent that we uphold them, that make us better, that makes this a better place to live. And I think a lot of people have lost sight of that. And these morons just cheering on, you know, Ukraine reflexively as though we're that different in, in some of our foreign policy, they're, they're not getting what makes the difference. And so again, I, you know, condemn it all you want. I mean, there's, you can go into the whole uh, bio labs. What that was, is that true? Is that, is that fake news? Uh, maybe I'll do a small section on that. To be honest, I haven't looked at all the deepest. I've seen a bunch of source material I intend to look into, but I haven't really dived into it yet. But, um, but that's a whole separate issue of, of who's the real bad guy in this conflict. Get into that. Certainly, I saw a post that I agree with. You know, I'm not with Ukraine. I'm not with Russia. I'm not with the UN. I'm not with NATO. I'm with the people of Ukraine. I'm with the people of Russia. I'm with the people of the US who just want to be left alone and live decent lives. And they're not part of this geopolitical chess game that the elites are playing, well, it's going to hurt a lot of people. And so this is a big chess game going on at that level. And I, I feel like I don't really, I'm not on team A or team B. I just hope that the actual human beings that live in these countries who are like you, like me, they have families, are spared as much as possible from, from the hell that's being unleashed by our elites. That's, that's my biggest take. I'll just finish off on the Victoria Newland statement. Um, she was, I think, in front of the Senate and Marco Rubio was asking her a question. And she said she's concerned that some biological research facilities that are in Ukraine will be, I guess, taken over by the Russians or accessed by the Russians. And that kind of set off a firestorm of different things. I even noted it in my Twitter. Because if these were like high school biology labs with a bunch of microscopes and formaldehyde frogs to be dissected, I don't think that's going to come up in the Senate hearing. And she's not going to be worried if Russia seizes a few microscopes and frogs. Probably not the college biology lab or the some lab where they're testing dog food flavors. I mean, it seems like there's something in these labs that would be of interest to a foreign power and dangerous if they were taken by Russia and or dangerous to Russia if they're in NATO's possession or Ukraine's possession. It seems otherwise it wouldn't come up. So I could be wrong. I don't know the details of it. I've read some things from, you know, before this whole conflict started, before the propaganda was going crazy, that we did have some research facilities in Ukraine. And in Ukraine, uh, there were some outbreaks of things that leaked from some of these labs. I've read that. How good are the sources? I don't know. But a lot of these predated 
this conflict. So it's not like somebody just put out some fake report now to do propaganda. Now, it doesn't mean propaganda started the day the war started. I mean, there's propaganda going on all the time. So again, I don't want to say, I know this is true. I know this isn't true. But after the whole NIH funding the Wuhan lab and the virus starting in Wuhan, people actually arguing that this is a zoonotic leak. Like, dude, there's one place in the world they're doing this kind of function on these kinds of viruses. And it leaks in that city. You need overwhelming proof that it came from natural sources before the presumption is overturned that this obviously fucking came from a lab. So you have, and we know they were funding the lab. We know the NIH was funding the lab. The U.S. was funding this lab in Wuhan to do this, these experiments. And it was in violation of the order that was, you know, it stopped doing this gain of function research. It's too dangerous. They did it anyway. We have this virus that, that breaks out. And two years later, we're getting this controversy about what's going on in these Ukraine labs. And to me, you know, I think the question needs to be asked and to dismiss it and say, oh, that's ridiculous. We're not funding a biological research in Ukraine. And if Ukraine had those labs, maybe they're from Soviet era leftover and we're trying to clean them up. That was what the, I think the Pentagon put out a statement to that effect through someone on Fox News. And, and that could be true, but she's literally reading the Pentagon statement. So that's not journalism. That's just uh, stenography. That's just PR, right? That's what the Pentagon wants you to think. That doesn't mean it's false. They, it, they could want you to think that. And it's also the truth. We don't know, but I think it's important that a high ranking foreign policy official acknowledged that these labs exist, which most people, including me, thought was a conspiracy near Russia's border, and that they're dealing with research that is significant enough that would make us worried if Russia came in possession of it. So those two th things seem to be undeniable. Why they came to be, how they were funded, what they're looking at, we don't really know. But if it is true that we were doing any kind of research, and we know we did it in Wuhan, whether or not you think the virus is zoonotic or not, Again, I think it's absurd to think to presume without great overwhelming evidence that it didn't come from the lab. Even if you think it did come, we were still doing gain-of-function research that we paid for. That's just a fact. That's a report of fact in Wuhan. Where else are we doing gain-of-function research? Is that the only place we were doing dangerous research? It would just be in, in China. Why wouldn't we be doing it elsewhere? And for what purpose? And then if we were doing that, how does it look like the conflict then? You know, how does it look like if Russia had a bunch of labs in Mexico where they're doing this research? Would we be inclined to invade or shut that down or not? And again, we don't know for sure. But I, I think these questions should be asked. And, and it's especially damning when you see people being like, you can't ask that. You're a traitor. Whose side are you on? I'm on the side of people and I, I'm on the side of the truth. Whatever the truth is, that's what I want to know. I think we should acknowledge things that are true. Like we did fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab. That is a fact. That is not in dispute. Did it leak from a lab? In my opinion, almost certainly. That is not an established fact yet. I think it's the, the probability is overwhelming, but that one, we don't have the smoking gun, but I, I feel like you'd have to, the burden of proof is on the zoonotic that, hey, wow, the one place the virus breaks out in the entire world is right next to where we're doing exactly that kind of research on these kind of viruses. What a coincidence. Um, why didn't it break out in Shanghai, why didn't it break out in New York City? Well, there's no lab there. I mean, it's just that, you know, and there's no strong evidence that we have the animal that it went through or that we have the, you know, genetic lineage that traces it. So to me, this is almost a fact, but do I have proof? No. So I think we just need to be loyal to the truth. It doesn't matter who it helps or harms. And we've gotten this terrible habit in the last, you know, since Trump got elected, maybe beforehand, where we don't want to just report the truth. We have to decide who the truth helps and then decide whether we want to report it.
And the New York Times acknowledged this. They said, yes, some of these stories about Ukraine early on in the, in the war, first week of the war, turned out to be false, but they helped morale. The New York Times said this. And they're basically saying, the truth isn't what's important. What's important is what the effect of the information is. So when you have people using information for an effect rather than whether just its truth value, when you have newspapers, the paper of record, now, now you know that paper is a propaganda outlet. It is not a source of truth because before they publish, they are asking, who does this help? Who does this hurt? And that's what PR agencies do. That's what a PSYOP is. It's to give information that has an effect on the population, irrespective of whether it's true. It's what Fauci was doing when he said, initially, he said, oh, I only said you needed a mask so that people wouldn't run out and get masks and then they wouldn't be available for the first responders. He's saying, I said something that I didn't believe was true. Now, it turns out masks wouldn't, wouldn't matter anyway. But the point is, Fauci admitted that he said it for a certain effect rather than because it was true. And as soon as you have the noble lie, your, your, you know, your politicians and your medical apparatchiks that serve as sort of the politicians' justifiers, as soon as you have these people not telling the truth anymore, Rachel Walensky, the director of the CDC, came out and said, you can look at the clip, she said, we really wanted to believe that the vaccine was 95% effective at reducing the spread, as CNN said. We really wanted to believe, so we mandated it. They wanted it to be true, so they made mandates, cost people their jobs, forced people to take medicine they didn't want, regardless of the side effects. They made people take this medicine, and they didn't even know that their claim was true. In fact, the research, it turns out, from Pfizer itself shows not only is it not effective at preventing the spread, it doesn't even last very long. The immunity isn't very durable, and there's a lot of side effects. And yet, she wanted to believe it was true, so she said it was true, and then all of these mandates came down and had disastrous effects for people's livelihoods. It wasn't because it was actually true. It was because she wanted it to be. So again, it's another example of people in authority who are supposed to be telling the truth, admitting they just did a PSYOP. They did an operation. They did a propaganda operation where they were saying, giving you information that they were not either not sure that it was true or they knew it was false or they were indifferent to whether it was true in order to encourage a certain kind of behavior. It's deeply unethical. And I really hope they are held to account and that people do not forget what happened. And I'm going to do my part in you know, seeing that that happens. I want these people to, to have to answer for this behavior in a court of law. And I want people to demand it because this unethical weaponizing of information to serve the ends of particular politicians or particular people in power not only did it have disastrous effects this time, but it's basically destroyed anybody's trust in these institutions. And if there were ever a pandemic like, you know, airborne Ebola or something where there were people dead in the street and we really needed some guidance and some scientific rigor on this, that's dead because now we can't trust these people. We can't trust these people about what they're reporting in the Ukraine-Russian war, the New York Times, the Washington Post. And so now you got to be finding independent media and independent individuals who try to get in good information. You have to curate good information. By the way, on chrysalis.com, I have a bunch of links to people that I think are good information. You, you should vet them yourselves. You just don't take my word for it. Always do your own research. Always use your own critical thinking. I may be persuasive to you in some ways, but I am not. I'm a human. I make mistakes. I trust the wrong people. I used to rec recommend people following Nassim Taleb all the time on Twitter. And in my opinion, that guy's lost his mind. 
So I, I make bad calls too all the time. So please check out the links, but also know that you have to, you're responsible for vetting them. I do my best, but I am a fallible human being and I will be wrong on a lot of things. That's chrysalis.com. Um, this is going to go on realmanwood.com. Uh, maybe I'll talk some sports for a second um, with just a couple thoughts. And, and oh, you know, if you want to contribute, we've gotten some very nice contributions. I would mention you guys on air, but you haven't given me explicit permission. So uh, with the contributions, but keep them coming, please. Especially people who enjoy this and value it, but haven't contributed because it also, it's a really strong signal that like, oh, you're on the right track. You're doing something valuable. There's a demand for this out there. By the way, thank you for the people who put reviews on um, iTunes after bad review. Keep those coming too. Those are really good. And one thing that I, I've not been saying that I really should is one of the best things you can do is tell other people, share the podcast. Okay. Let's just talk a little sports real quick. Russell Wilson has traded to Denver. Denver is instantly a contender. Russell Wilson's one of the top 10 players of all time, in my opinion. He was bad for about half the year last year when he, after he was hurt. But at the very end, he started to look more like himself. He's going to have some weapons. He's going to have Cortland Sutton. He's going to have Jerry Judy. He's going to have Albert O at tight end. They traded Fant. And this is an instant contender, but they're in a division with the Chiefs. They're in a division with the Chargers. Chargers just traded for Khalil Mack. Uh, so the Chargers are probably going to be very good. You have Herbert, Mahomes, and Russell Wilson in the same division. The Raiders, say what you want about them, but they were a playoff team last year. You still have Josh Allen. You still have Joe Burrow in the conference. This is just going to be a nasty conference. And we'll see where Deshaun Watson, who like he was uh, cleared of criminal charges, is going to be cleared to play. So Deshaun Watson stays in the AFC and, and leaves the Texans for a good team. You know, if he ends up, I don't think he'll end up in New England or something, but if he ends in Miami or ends up in another team, the Colts, you're going to have some super teams in the AFC. It's, it's, it's exciting. You know, and then Trevor Lawrence, you know, he had a bad year, but he was a generational prospect going to have new management. So the NFC is going to be like the JV basically, but, uh, but we'll see. It's always unpredictable in the NFL and then baseball. I'm doing my NFBC. I did a $400 draft champions league and Carlos Rodon just signed with the giants. And I know he had some shoulder issues. He's been hurt a lot, but this guy was arguably the best pitcher in the AL when he was healthy last year. And now he's in, in great pitchers park on a good franchise that knows how to manage its players. I just took him. I was surprised he made it back to me. I, I picked first and I, I saw after like there were four picks in the, in the fifth round, I was like, uh Oh, it's not, uh, someone's going to get Rodon. He's not going to make it all the way back. And he did he made it all the way back to the six, seven turn. So I, and uh, some risk, but very happy about that. Clayton Kershaw back to the Dodgers. I'll probably have some Kershaw. Um, I think one of the things I'm going to do this year is draft pitchers who were healthy. Now that were hurt last year, who were great have long track records, the DeGroms, the Beavers the Verlanders, all those kind of guys, and a lot of last year's bums. So uh, it's fun. I, I said I started this uh, podcast off saying, you know, it's hard to, I don't want to get too distracted when there's more important first order things to consider. But but I love fantasy baseball and uh, I'm going to do a couple of drafts and, and I'm enjoying it. And um, yeah, hopefully I can give it the attention and time it needs. These are draft champions where you you don't have to do free agent pickups. You just have to set your lineups, which makes it easier. I, I am going to do, I'm doing a beat Christmas league on Sunday that's full. I and mean, that will be my only free agent move league, I think, because I just don't want to be beholden to it on Sunday night. And I also don't want to do a half ass job and have a bad team because that's not fun. I'm still competitive. And the second order things like fantasy baseball, I still care if I win or lose quite a bit. Um, it takes up more uh, headspace than it probably should. So it is what it is. That's going to do it for this pod. 
could also check out chrislist.com and those links. We also, in our Epic Health, oh, I should say a couple more things. In our Epic Health pod that Dalton and I did, the last one we did together, put a ton of links to what we talked about in the notes below it. So check it out. Videos that Dalton suggested. I have a great chart about fasting in that. Um, and I'll add more as time goes on. One of the missions I have of chrislist.com and realmanwood.com is to curate valuable things to add value that I found because there's information, there's such good information out there, but there's just not always easy to parse through it. And, uh, and there's certain areas in which I've been able to do that and I can save you the time. Um, but again, vet everything yourself, see if it makes sense to you. All right, take it easy. I'll be back in a few days, probably. I don't know. I just do these when I have something to say. It seems like I have a lot to say lately, so probably I'll be another one in a few days.